Welcome back to the Project 24 Blogging Podcast. This is episode 197. Well, so glad to have you all here um, on this January day. We are approaching the end of January here. Uh, very, very cold here in the Boise, Idaho oh, yeah. area. Rigid. Not, not as cold as some places apparently. <laughs> That's true. That's Our creator true. studio is based out of Rexburg, Idaho. And they, the writers have been reporting like negative 15, negative 20 degrees, plus wind chill, which is bringing it to like negative 40, negative yeah. 50. They're, they're saying like, they're saying like <laughs> don't go outside yeah. with your face uncovered because within four minutes you'll yeah. have frostbite. Yeah. Oh, a little bit chill. It's like, <laughs> okay, oh, that's cold. Yeah. That's unsafe. I mean, here like 10, 15 yeah. degrees, you know, 20 in the heat of the day. That's cold right. for us, but whew. And then I saw like Texas and up all the way through like Tennessee and Kentucky has been getting hit with yeah. ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Oof. We had some ice storms when I was in Texas, and I was like, this is Texas. This is, what is this doing here? We're not supposed to have cold. Yeah, <laughs> and the problem with that is it's like kind of catches you off guard, and you're like, totally. wait a second. We're yeah. supposed to have warm weather, and what they, do we do? They are not at all prepared for that. Like yeah. here, it's like, oh, the road's iced over. That's yeah. okay. They'll be salted in two hours. Right. You know, there it's like the road's iced over. Everybody stay home till it melts. <laughs> because if you don't, like they some of their overpasses – like you could literally just there's steep enough that you could just like start sliding and just not stop. Like it's not built for that. It's just not made for ice. Yeah. It's it gets super dangerous. And so literally like when I was there and we had ice for a few days, I got an email from work that was just like, stay home. That is funny. Life froze. So, yeah. <laughs> Literally. Exactly. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about something that a lot of you have been talking about. A lot of people in the blogging space, media space in general are talking about. It's the biggest thing right now. And uh, so one of the topics in the community was from BSR87 and they titled, Is This the Actual End of Blogging? And you're probably familiar with a uh, chap GPT, which has been in the news a lot. Um, we've been talking about it here in the community, just like I said. And so a lot of people are worried about it, uh, that it is going to kind of take over and there won't be a need for people actually blogging and writing their experiences on the internet because the AI will just get it all. It will already have the resources it needs and it will answer it in an easy paragraph or, or whatever for you. So what do you think? Is this the end of blogging? Yes. It is the <laughs> yeah. end of this version of blogging. Just like the last technological advancement was the end of right. that version of blogging. Seriously, like it feels like every year or two, and you, uh, probably every two to three years, there's a big one where people are like, well, this, that's it. Blogging's dead. And, I mean, we're talking about things like personal assistance. Uh, oh, now with Alexa and Siri, why would anybody blog it? Right. Like, re, like, why would you Google anything? You're just going to ask Siri. And yet here we are, years later, still blogging and still making a lot of money. I read in this thread, somebody commented saying that their Google traffic is way down since ChatGPT Chat came out. Mm. Uh, that's, if they're seeing that on their site, that's interesting. It's not something I see yeah. in our analytics at all. The introduction of ChatGPT has had no noticeable bearing so far on any of our sites. You right. can't see anything. I'm not even talking about like it's not statistically significant. I'm talking about like 
It's just not there. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, I mean, I get it. Chat GPT is, it's a tool. Um, it's, it's built on a small data set. You know, what happens when it's connected to the internet? What happens when it's integrated with Bing? What happens when Google introduces their chatbot and it has access to the whole web? Then its answers are going to be more correct. And so then who needs a blog? Still, it's going to impact a certain subset of search queries. The ones where I'm asking a question, often out of a curiosity, and I'm just looking for a fact. Right. You know, like... What's the difference between a dinner fork and a salad fork? Right. Mm-hmm. Like those differences can be spelled out by a robot and it will be as accurate as any human, mm-hmm. maybe more. Right. Well, and that's an article we wrote yeah. on our yeah. website. Yeah. These totally. are these are queries that we in the past have worked for bloggers. And so it's not to say that, you know, we I mean we didn't see this necessarily coming. I mean, we've known AI has kind of been on the rise. And so it's not that these, this is totally new. We've been writing these queries that yeah. AI could potentially take over at this point, but that's okay. It, I guess yeah. the, um, from what I get from you, Ricky, and f- from all the research that we've done here, it's just like the topics that we've written in the past, some of them may not work anymore, mm-hmm. Yeah, but some of them still will. We've, we've talked through a couple of examples over the past few weeks and months and years as AI has kind of been a topic. But I really think that there's a lot of instances um, where people will want the human experience and the human element. Um, There's just so much that I don't think can be captured by an AI. Ricky and I were talking this morning. We were like, who hates chatbots or the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the robo callers yeah. or like yeah. the robot stuff. Like, like, Oh, I just want to talk to a human. Right. You know, <laughs> you get on a support call, you're calling a company for the support and they don't have a customer support representative. You're talking to a robot and they're walking you through a decision tree. Yeah. How frustrating is that? It's awful. It's there. Will it get better? Probably. Yeah. It hasn't really seemed to come better uh, very quickly, but that there's we can all feel the difference between that and being on the phone with somebody with right. a human with someone who can experience emotions the way we can experience emotions i just don't think that i just don't think that it's the end i think like what you said ricky i think it's just a change and i think we just yep. need to pivot and that's something that we've always said um you know back in the day blogging was different than what it is today um it's evolved we didn't used to push video as much as we do now yep. because it wasn't really necessary. Um, there are so many examples of these changes over the years that we've just adapted. And those who are willing to adapt are just fine. Right. It's really those who are, you know, the sky is falling. We're, we're not going to change. We're not going to do anything different. It's really those who get wiped out, um, which really just clears the field for the rest of us who are really willing to adapt. You know, AI has been around mostly helping writers write content for a while, right? People have been using AI tools to write their blog posts and to help them write their blog posts for for some time now. Um, I think with ChatGPT, one of the scares is this is the first, it feels like the first time where this kind of AI has gone mainstream, where like people who aren't bloggers have learned that they can go to a chatbot and ask questions and even have a dialogue and get answers. And if that sort of tool becomes mainstream, then that's where they'll get their answers. That's the fear, right? But to to your point, Nathan, there's so many things that AI can't experience. 
the AI can give me facts, right? I could even ask an AI. This is an example we kind of talked about earlier today, but here, um, but I could ask the AI, what should I do to prepare for a 50 mile backpacking trip? And it can spit out to me a bunch of ideas, maybe even a training plan based off of things other people have written. But that training plan could end up being, if it's just taking pieces from lots of people or, or even from one person, it might end up not being like a training plan that really all fits together, right? It could end up being kind of disjointed. The AI has never been on a 50-mile backpacking trip. It's just never done it, and it never can do it. All it can do is gather all the information that it can pull and parse from all the information other people have written about their experience with those things. And then it can, you know, it can learn and all that stuff, and it can spit you out a training plan. But I know I, as a consumer of information, would much rather watch videos and read blog posts by people who I feel confident from their branding, from their content, whatever. I feel confident that they've actually done 50 mile hikes and that they trained for those things. And I would like to read about their experiences and not necessarily just get a fact answer that says, here's your training plan. But rather I I'd kind of want to hear part of some of the story, maybe mm-hmm. like, Hey, you know what? On, on, I've done a lot of long backpacking trips and these are the unforeseen things that I ran into mm-hmm. on some of my trips that they're not super common, but there's a good chance that at some point you'll run into some of these things. So here's what you should be prepared for. And this is why you should train this way, or here's some things to bring with you. Like, those experiences are going to lead me to things that are non-obvious um, and that the AI can't experience. It can't know those things. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably want to read about multiple people's experiences. And the AI is just going to aggregate information and spit me out an answer. I, I just, I'm never going to get that, that piece. Yeah. And that piece is so incredibly valuable. Anyway, that's, what do we do? How do we do that? And I think, um, I think we, we know exactly how to do that. It's the approach we're taking on our sites right now, on our new sites especially. Um, it's what you're going to see with Terrain Treaders. It's what you're going to see with my Project Double Time when you actually get to see it. We're not just picking a bunch of random uh, search queries that have low competition and writing articles about them anymore. We're working on building up real authority. We're using video content. We are immersing ourselves in the topics. Mm-hmm rather than just publishing a bunch of content. We've immersed ourselves in the past, but usually just because we ended up picking a topic that we were already immersed in. Um, That was what Jim and I used to always do. And where we started getting into trouble, not really getting in trouble, but where we saw sites that didn't perform as well, it was always because it was like, well, this seems like a good topic where we just didn't care one bit about the topic. I think that is, that's key. Yeah, I think that, you know, especially over the last, let's say, two or three years, uh, we've gotten used to some, uh, we could say, shortcuts or yeah. things that have just made it a little bit easier. You know, we've been able to rely on things like um, Google Snippets. We've been able to rely on, um, there's so, I just had another example. It just totally left my mind. But there's these shortcuts, um, kind of like what Ricky said. You know, maybe it's um, easier to not have your face on the blog. Maybe you don't want your face on the blog. Maybe you don't want to build a brand. Maybe you just want content. Uh, maybe it's a topic that you're not really interested in, but you you know what the good topic is. Um, and in past years, blogs like that have worked. Just very strictly informational um, 
queries that are very basic that you can just, you know, win the Google snippet for. And then all of a sudden you get a couple thousand pages a month to good, good questions. You know, we've been able to enjoy some of those things. The same goes for things on YouTube. I remember when um, YouTube shorts came out, there was a lot to be taken advantage of there. You could put out a short and get tons of views, especially when it was brand new. Um, Now, you know, the algorithm there has changed. It's a little bit different. And so some of those shortcuts or advantages of being early in that phase, um, they're, they're, they're fewer now. They're, it's just not as much as it used to be. Um, but that's the beauty of the evolution um, is that if you can be an early adopter of some of these things that are actually going to keep working. So, for example, um, on terrain treaders, there's a topic that we were looking at. Um, what is the best time to buy an ATV? Um, well, there's a lot that goes yeah, into right. a question like that. Are we talking time of year? Are we talking time of life? You know, like, is this, a, is, are we talking financially? Are we talking, you know, seasonality? Uh, it probably depends on the ATV brand or what it's meant for. Is it a sport ATV? So like all of these different elements that play into this one simple question probably can't be adequately answered or it could be to some extent but the human element's going to add a lot more value to that query mm-hmm. it's queries like that where i think for now for what we can see the future of blogging lie in i think that those queries will be the value that bloggers can bring um, i just opened up chat gpt here and I asked if AI will kill blogging. <laughs> and ChatGPT says, no, AI will not kill blogging. It can assist in some aspects of blogging, like content, content creation, but it can't replace the creativity, originality, and personal touch that humans bring to blogging. Blogging is self-expression and communication, and it's unlikely that AI will be f- f- uh, able to fully replace that human experience. <laughs> I think that cool. la- that's like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just those elements, the human touch, it's yeah. just so, so valuable. Um, and it's something that in the past, maybe we've just overlooked because it wasn't front of mind. You know, it just wasn't here kind of staring us right in the face where something could replace half the articles on our website um, by a simple chat feature. But now it's kind of more up here in our face. And I think that we just need to adapt. Yeah, It's a good wake up call to, yep. to not make commodity content. Yeah. If you have an AI writing your article for you right now, <laughs> then you're literally writing content that an AI can write. Right. Mm-hmm. And so therefore you are not adding the human element yep. and your content will be replaced. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Like if the AI is doing all the thinking for you at this point, yes, your blogs will die. Your type of blogging is, is going to die as soon as these chatbots become fully mainstream. Once they're fully integrated into the um the browsers and the search uh, search engines there will be no purpose in having blog content written by ais yeah the ai will just write you an answer why would i go to a blog post written by an ai and so what we need to do create content that adds that human element i feel like over my lifetime which isn't that long yet um not that old um, but over <laughs> my lifetime i have seen this like huge decrease in the amount of interpersonal interaction that people have. You know, when I went to high school, social media didn't exist. And most people didn't even text because to text on a phone, you had to, you had to press the number two, three times to get the letter C, you know, (laughs) we didn't text. 
I literally wrote notes to people, my friends, on a piece of paper, folded it up in a creative way, and slipped it in their locker. <laughs> you know, that's like, that was still, yep. and like, even for my little brother, who's five years younger than me, he had a totally different experience because they had cell phones, they all texted, yeah. and um, they, they had Facebook, and <laughs> Facebook came out, and I went to Brazil for two years, and I came home, and suddenly it was like, whoa. whoa. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> the world has changed. And um, what I'm seeing, though, is like customer support got outsourced to third world countries. And then it got outsourced to robocallers and phone trees. Yep. And the further and further and further we get from the people we're talking to, the less human it feels. And what am I seeing? I'm seeing huge amounts of just people starving for human connection. We're social creatures. Yeah. And yet we're like, I don't know. We're like trying to eliminate the need to like talk to each other. Right. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I, I think that the more and more and more that we use AI, we're, we're going to reach this point where all of a sudden we find ourselves starving to the point where today on YouTube, there are a lot of YouTubers who are getting millions and millions of views doing very simple, sometimes even mundane things. Yeah simply because it feels like someone that you can connect with. It seems silly to me that you could sit there and watch someone clean their home for an hour and talk <laughs> to you and do that, like watch that. Right. And why do we do that? Because we're starving for connection. Yep. And so we do that because it feels like you have a friend over. Yep. Yep. And so people want that. And if we can provide them with human connection through our writing too, this isn't going to die. It's just going to evolve. Yeah. I know in the past a lot, we've talked about cutting out some human connection on the blog just for ease. Um, Again, I think that's maybe one of the shortcuts, you know, uh, comments on a blog post. That's something where we haven't really advocated for that. Put them back. It's like, yeah, if there's an opportunity (laughs) to respond to them, (laughs) to respond to somebody in on your website, like you own your website. Somebody has taken the time to comment on your blog post. Respond to them, you know, build a connection, have an active email list, Um, you know, maybe participate in social media. Maybe you have a social media account that is linked to your website or, you know, the same name or brand or whatever so that you can participate socially. All of these little elements will decommoditize you and your content. And I think that that is probably one of the best ways to continue forward. Um, yes, we may, we're going to have to change some of the content we're writing, um, but really kind of building out um, your websites as a brand. I think we'll, for those of you who are very, very concerned about this, these are the changes that I think will have to be made. Some people don't want to make them, and I mm-hmm. get that. For some reasons, um, people may or may not want to do all those things, but I think that if you really want this to work, um, that's one of the best ways is just to put everything at it. We've been talking a lot recently about brand building. Um, and I think that making a brand that people can connect to is very, very valuable more now than ever. It's funny when Ricky, when you're giving the example of the outsourced support, I've seen some big companies recently where one of their marketing points is they have us based support, right? Live support. Like, right. That's like a premium feature. That's like a premium feature now. Yeah. And the reason why that's such a big deal is exactly what you said. People want to have that opportunity. And, you know, when we say connection in a support way, it's not necessarily like you want to be their buddy, but like 
being able to talk to a human makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I, I just think that that's so interesting that we've gotten to that point. You know, we love to streamline. We love to outsource. We love to make things better, air quotes, better. Yep. Um, but sometimes it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine humans in the future just being satisfied with chatting with mm-hmm. uh, the AI and <laughs> feeling satisfied getting their answer like, okay, well, I trust you. You're not a person, mm-hmm. but, and I don't really need to relate or have connection with you yeah. or whatever. Um, I was thinking about the example of the 50-mile hike type uh-huh. article. You know, like the AI is not going to know all these little nuances. Like if you're wanting to do a certain hike, maybe you just did it and you made a blog post about it and you're like, well, you know, the due to the, all the mud, the trail has changed a lot due to avalanches. You're going to want to take the right instead of the left. Right. If you want more of a challenge, you want to go this way. Um, here are the types of shoes I used, the backpack I used, or it's something like a different type of article I you know, tried five different types of backpacks and use them for 20 mile hikes. Here's what I found out yeah. and show pictures of that. Show pictures of the recent the hike um, that you just did. Um, and AI is not going to have an easy time <laughs> giving you that experience and that connection. And I was also just thinking about uh, things like Reddit. People go on to Reddit because they want someone to relate they want to humans. Yeah. 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 It's almost like, what club do you want to be a part of it's, on Reddit? <laughs> you know, yeah. and they Google, they search in Reddit for experiences similar to theirs yeah. so they can uh, read about their experiences and, and feel that connection. I don't think Reddit's going anywhere for a while or things nope. like that. Um, you That's can even funny. search in Google for uh, experiences in Reddit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. People add tag, they, tack Reddit onto yes. the end of their Google search <laughs> because bloggers are already too robotic. Yeah. Most bloggers have gotten, and like, it's true. A lot of the content that's being produced by a lot of us has been just too mass produced. Yep. Yeah. Kind of sterile. Very. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, no, I want to know what a human actually has experienced with this. So I'm going to go to Reddit because bloggers suck, you know, like, come on, we need to not be what the AI's attaining trying to become right right? we need to be the human that that people want to connect with that's where we need to go it's funny we've always said when you're writing your content or you're you're answering questions write it as if you were talking to your neighbor who came over to ask you the question yeah and a lot of times we end up writing the content like a professional or you know kind of like putting ourselves ourselves in a professional light Uh which is not is not that at all um trying to make ourselves sound smart or like we know exactly what we're talking about. And that's not necessarily what people need. And people are going to consume the information the way they want to. Yes. They're going to either listen to a podcast. They're going to go on Reddit. They're going to go to YouTube, TikTok, you know, whatever the future of that is. Um, Instagram, people are interested in different types of platforms. And so that's why it's so important. We've talked about it a lot, but also to, uh, have video, yeah. YouTube, if you can, um, and embed those on your blog post as well and have a YouTube channel, you know, if you're you're interested in that. It's always good to diversify and just have your, your hands in many different areas. Yeah. It's funny because we make fun of like the recipe bloggers who, you know, write a recipe and then they fill it in with like 3,000 words of family stories. <laughs> and we make fun of that because it's like, no, but I just want the recipe. And like, that's kind that's true, but we don't just want the recipe. Like I want the recipe, but also 
if you have additional tips and stuff that would help me make this and make it easier and make it more likely for me to succeed, that's relevant and it goes beyond the basic steps of the recipe. Yeah. And, you know, if there is a little bit of history to the recipe that actually gives me credibility for why this is a good recipe, makes me trust you. I've used this example before, but like the first time I went to make hummus, I Googled, you know, hummus recipes and there's like a billion of them. <laughs> and, um, but I found one and like the title of it said it something along the lines of it being like authentic uh, Syrian or whatever. And then the author of the article said, this is the hummus that my grandmother makes. She lived her whole life in Syria and this is the hummus she makes. And I was like, okay, cool. That's that sounds awesome. pretty authentic. Like yeah. I don't remember anything else. And I don't even remember there being a lot of other story. It was just yeah. like, this is our family. This is what we make. Grandma taught me how to make this. This is how she made it there. Like, okay, cool. This isn't yeah. like some Americanized knockoff. This is the real deal. Yeah. And then on that regard, I recognize, I'm starting to recognize brands like in the cooking space because I look up recipes yeah. a lot. Yeah. And so if they pop up, you know, in the beginning, you have all those choices. If I see that person, I'll click on their recipe because I know that they're most, most likely going to be very simple, fewer ingredients, quick. And I've recognized them as a brand. So I go back and back yep. again because their articles or their recipes keep popping up in the SERP. Yep. It made me think of the example. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. The uh, It's a kind of an assignment for kids where you ask them the instructions on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And the goal is to, you know, the kids will write out very basic instructions. And then a lot of times the instructor or the teacher will go and they'll follow the, the child's instructions, but it they clearly don't come out with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like this very simplified, very sterile version. There's so much more that should and needs to be added. Anyway, that just made me think of that little example there. It's like the AI can do some of it. The AI yeah. could probably give you a pizza recipe. Um, they're going to tell you to you know put the sauce on the dough, put the cheese on the dough, put the pepperoni on the dough, and then cook it. Okay. Yeah. But there can okay. be more than that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, again, that's where we can come in. Awesome. Awesome discussion. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be talking about it again yeah, uh, later so in the future. <laughs> yeah, but we do have a couple questions here from the community. The first one is from Daniel Rosa, and they say, I have a Portuguese blog in the beauty niche, mostly targeted a Brazilian audience. I have some specific posts about, say, natural oils for skincare that bring a great deal of traffic around 4K per month. I've tried to add some affiliate links, but they didn't convert as expected. Also, the commissions are pretty low. I was thinking if I should approach some brands that sell these natural oils, asking if they're interested in paying for a reference or a link to their product. I have no idea how to do this or how much I should ask for. I think they may be interested. They just don't know of the existence of my site. Is this a good idea and what would the best approach be? Um. So when I look at trying to make a deal, you know, with a brand or something, one of the first questions you need to ask is like, what's in it for them, right? A mention is great, cool brand recognition. Maybe they'll come buy my product, but it's hard to measure, you know, um, what's a lot easier to measure is, did you make some sales for me? And if you made some sales, then okay. That's why with like ads, the measurement they use is clicks, you know, an advertiser bases how much they're willing to pay for a spot on your website based on their cost per click. So like 
it might be that a thousand people have to see that ad before one clicks and, and maybe that's okay based on how many clicks lead to how much in sales, right? Um, those are the kind of the calculations they're doing. So the, the reason that affiliate works so well for brands is they only have to pay you if you make them money. And so it's low risk uh, for, for them to work with bloggers. You know, if, if it's not proven that you, by mentioning their blog, are going to be able to increase sales by a certain amount, it's really hard for them to be able to feel confident right. paying you anything for that, right? Um, let alone a specific amount. So it's really hard to calculate. An easier thing might be to get them to buy ad space. Like just say, hey, um, at the top of each of these specific blog posts, I'll reserve a spot for you. And you'll put an image there that's a link to their website or whatever. And it's, it's an ad. It just doesn't run through like a Zoic mm -hmm. or anything, but it's basically an ad. And people pay for ad space and you could do that, but you need a way that they can see how many people clicked. Because if it's not getting very many clicks, right. they're, they're not going to want to keep paying you for it. So anyway, my, this is the kind of long way of saying that's why the affiliate marketing setup is so approachable for bloggers is because it's just so low risk for them. Things beyond that start to get pretty tough unless your brand starts to become more proven. The most direct way to do this that I've seen at work is through more of like a sponsorship mm -hmm. where, you know, somebody sponsors a piece of content and so the content features them in some way. So on YouTube, this is really common. Um, sometimes the sponsorship is such where it's like, doesn't really matter what the topic of the video is. You just have to do a, maybe a 30 second kind of mid roll ad. And maybe early in the video, you're going to mention their product right. halfway through. You're going to do a 30 second, like now this video is brought to us by this company. And here's something really nice to say mm -hmm. about the product. And right. now back to the content and people do that all the time. Um, it works. Then there's like the fully like integrated sponsorship where it's like, this video is about the product and it's highly relevant. The video itself is relevant to your audience. The product's relevant to your audience. You can usually charge more for that. But again, it just, it really depends on the product. If it's a really expensive product and, you know, depending on what their numbers are, we've, we find that, you know, if we get 50,000 views, we're going to get about this much in sales. So here's how much I'll pay for right. 50,000 views. It, and there's not like a, there's not a nice like formula for that. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of feel it out within your niche. And for blogs, we don't see nearly as much of that. Yeah. Direct sponsorships. Yeah. I kind of wonder if you mentioned here that you have, an, you've kind of worked with some affiliate, it just not seem to be, seems to be working very well. I would try and test different things. Yeah. You know, like Ricky said, you know, maybe you could get them to pay for ad space, but a lot of times if you're an affiliate for a company, they might just have media you can use. And maybe at the top of the articles, you put an ad there, even if they're not paying you for it, to see if you can increase conversions. And that ad is an affiliate link. Right. And it's yeah. an affiliate link. So then they're able to track, oh, this person made me X amount of sales. Um, you know, maybe moving the links to a different place in the post or trying to sell the link a little bit better or embedding a video that highlights the product and then putting the link yes. below. Like there's so many different things that you can do to just improve the affiliate part of it. You said the commissions were also low. You know, maybe it's it'd be worthwhile to see if a different platform is also selling the product where you can get maybe one or two percent higher commission. Um, but there's a lot of different things that you can do just with within the affiliate program um, or maybe another affiliate program that offers the same product um, without having to make one off deals with companies. I, I think a company that already has an affiliate 
program uh, with an untested site, they're probably going to be unlikely right. to work with you. Because like Ricky said, it's just high risk for them. Yep. Um, you, you're really going to have to prove yourself. And if you can start killing it with the affiliate program, maybe they'll bump up your commission. You know, that's right. also pretty common. You know, after you make X amount of sales in a certain period of time, maybe you get another 2 or 3% or whatever. Um, that's oftentimes built into affiliate programs. So that's probably, what I, that's probably where I would start um, because that's something you can control. You can control every single one of those elements. And I know Income School does that. Yep. <laughs> yes, we do. If you hit a certain threshold, then boop, the commission goes up. Yep. Um, and yeah, that's not uncommon. I would say, like, if you haven't yet, or even if you have, go through the affiliate course that we have and relook at all four of the different affiliate strategies we teach in there, and think about how you could use each one. Um, like Nathan said, try some different things. It might be that you need to really feature a product and that maybe you do need to make some video content because that builds a lot more credibility because so many bloggers have never used the product that they're pitching. Right. And when you can show it in a video, it's kind of easy to show that you actually use the product. <laughs> awesome. All right. Last question is from TJB1213. And they say, I started a local blog two years ago with no plans to go beyond my state. Now my blog has grown to almost 300,000 monthly page views, but almost all that traffic is coming from readers out of my state. I put ads on the site and quickly started making more money from ads than I was from my local business. Now I don't know what to do. I want to continue growing the blog. I don't really care about the local aspect of it anymore, but I'm blogging under a local name that includes the state abbreviation in the actual domain name. My question is, should I just make a new business name that is more about my topic and less about the location, but should I keep blogging under the original domain? I would prefer to keep the articles on the original domain since I'm getting good traffic. I don't want to mess with anything if it's going to ruin what I've built. If I continue to blog under a locally named business, could that eventually hurt me? I wish I would have found this course before getting myself into this mess. I would have named it properly from the start. I don't think your domain name probably matters as much as you think it does. Yeah. And so keeping it under the same domain, I'm not worried about. You might just tweak the branding. Mm -hmm. Take off the state part of the name. Maybe even if there's a, just a better brand you want to use, that's fine. Ideally, you would own the domain name associated like that fits that brand perfectly. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, you could redirect any traffic that because people will assume like, you know, if I owned IncomeSchool.com, but I rebranded it to blogging course, <laughs> then <laughs> I just made a like hand signal. <laughs> um, then like, you know, I'd want to make sure I owned blogging course.com too, because someone's going to type that right. in. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to do it that way, then... I don't see any reason to not do it the other way right? and start using the new domain, but just create redirects. And so the way this works and how you just don't lose traffic, this can work really smooth is if you just literally just change the domain name um, so that the entire permalink structure, everything stays the same. Just change the domain, the first the top level, you know, domain that's associated with that exact same website. I'm not even talking about like cloning the site. I'm just saying change the domain name um, and then go create a wildcard redirect associated with the domain name you've been using. And what, what that means is every single URL, it will 
with the wildcard redirect, it takes whatever people type in. Let's say it was like yourdomain.com slash and then a whole bunch of other stuff. It will take that address and it will just switch out the domain to the new one and take them to that same spot. Mm. And so as long as you just change the domain and so all of the permalink structure stays exactly the same and you make it a permanent or a 301 um, redirect, then you can, um, you can also in Google Search Console, um, if you search on the left side, there's a search and you can type in change of address. Uh, you can alert Google Search Console. I changed the name of my website from this to this. Google's going to know. And so when they'll re-index it and say, oh, yep, same site. Yeah. Your positions will all stay the same. Every backlink will redirect, like everything. Mm. Like it's basically like nothing happened except it's on a new URL. Um, like I'd, I would just do that. Yeah. So if you feel like a rebrand would help, um, and it's hard to know exactly without looking at the specific situation, knowing the name that you have, the niche, and kind of what content's on your site. Um, so that's kind of a decision you're going to have to make. But like, I would do that uh, because I do think branding matters. Yeah. And I would rather um, build a brand that's going to better fit my content and what I'm trying to build for the future. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can start by start with the rebrand, even buy the domain that goes along with it. And don't mess with the URL at first mm -hmm. and just kind of work through the rebrand. Feel free to do that. And then at any point, you can just switch the domain and literally like people just won't even notice right and own and just own both domains for several years yeah. you know one thing cool. one thing that i wonder uh, in, in the question they talked about um if having the blog under the local business name could eventually hurt them i wonder if that's something that's helped mm. right and having that and not necessarily to say that i mean under a rebrand you could essentially have the same value um but i guess what i'm wondering or saying is that having that um, added eat el those added eat elements having a local business having an address having a phone number having all of those things right. giving you some additional authority um some additional trustworthiness I, I that's something that google's really pushing hard and they have been for a little while now um, i think that having that nessus doesn't necessarily hurt you i don't think it will hurt you going forward um Another thing that I would say in order to keep your traffic, sounds like you've made a wonderful mistake here by getting 300,000 pages a month. <laughs> right. A lot of hard work. Not not to say that you haven't worked hard. It sounds like you put out a lot of content. But I would also say, kind of back to our other conversation, decommoditize your content. Yeah. Um, you know, 300,000 pages a month is fantastic. Um, try and identify articles or topics that you can continue to win. You know, Ricky mentioned maybe making some videos earlier, um, having a YouTube channel, even if it is kind of a blog first YouTube channel with just um, video content to associate, that would be fantastic. Anything that you can do to continue to just build out your brand, whether you decide to keep it on the domain you're at or to do the redirects. Um, either way, I think that um, I, you're on the right track here wanting to solidify what you've built. Uh, as you said, it's overtaken what the local business was making you, which is just mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. It could be that your state is part of your brand. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's, um, a super popular quilting company called Missouri star mm -hmm. Quilt company. And they basically own a town in Missouri it started up, they like started a quilt shop, but they started a YouTube channel 
And Daryl Eves talks about this in his book, um, his, the YouTube formula. This is an example he gives, but like it got to where like they bought an old business that had shut down like their property or whatever. And they set up there. And then like next thing you know, they like own a ton of pro like properties in town and it's a tourist destination for it's like a mecca for quilters in the United <laughs> States, right? In like this little town in Missouri. And it's like now just it's known as Quilt Town USA. Yeah. And it's Missouri Star Quilt Company. Like it's okay to lean into that and mm -hmm. just keep the state name in it. Yep. Um, if if that fits your niche as well. And like Missouri has nothing to do with quilting. Yeah. Right. It just that's just the just name. That's what it is. Like Missouri Star Quilt Company. Like there's nothing about that brand. There's no word in that brand that I'm like, oh, that's really unique and clever. Mm -hmm. It just, it's, but it's a good brand. And it feels really hometown. Like you could trust them or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If it, I think if it was like Manhattan star, I'd be like, nobody in Manhattan quilts. So. Like, I don't believe that. But in Missouri, yes. they're quilting. Yes. Yeah. They're certainly quilting. Yeah. And that's and, a great example. Yeah. Shucking corn and doing all sorts of stuff. I was going to say, I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it. That, I don't yeah. feel like it's yeah. broke. If you've gotten to 300,000 page views, kind of not on purpose. So yeah. I'd say keep going with it. By the way, congratulations. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. And to have built up your blog, to have it earning more than your local business like that that's awesome. is incredible. So you've yeah. done incredible so far. It could be that what you've done, it really wasn't a mistake right. and just lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of your hard work. <laughs> all right. Well, that is what we have for today. Good discussion, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Project 24 Blogging Podcast and have a wonderful rest of your day. Project 24 is a product of Income School LLC. Results mentioned are not typical. The trademark Project 24 refers to the goal of some people to create a successful business in 24 months, but is not a promise or guarantee of that success. Many online businesses fail because, like any business, it requires hard work, skill, and dedication. Before making business decisions, consult financial and legal professionals licensed in your jurisdiction. So in short, the only person who can make your business successful is you. We are simply here to provide information to help you along the way.